1983, WXPR 91.7 hit the airwaves for the first time. This is a Northern Voice, 91.7, WXPR Rhinelander. Welcome to WXPR, bringing public radio to Hodag country. Over the past four decades, WXPR Public Radio has brought unique music, local news, and impactful programming to northern Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. To celebrate our 40th anniversary, WXPR founder Peter Norgren is taking a look back and sharing how it all began. This is part two of five of WXPR, the story of how it started. This is Peter Norgren, and this is the WXPR story. Part two. In the previous edition, I talked about the three directions that led toward WXPR. That is public service broadcasting, community broadcasting, and educational broadcasting. And I talked specifically about the station that is the uh, most direct predecessor of WXPR, that is KAXE in Grand Rapids, Minnesota a community station built there by uh, Northern Community Radio that started broadcasting in 1976. 1976 was the same year that I arrived in Northern Minnesota uh, working for Bemidji State University uh, in Bemidji, Minnesota, about 70 miles from where KAXE was located. I talked too about how I got to know the uh, folks at KAXE a little bit. And in the uh, year that followed, started uh, learning more and more about how their station was developed. A couple of other important things were going on during that period of time. First of all, we'll mention that National Public Radio was started in 1970 as an organization and started uh, providing programming to uh, public stations in 1971, really not that many years uh, before 1976-77. It had begun to attract a lot of interest in a lot of places and uh, in communities that uh, were interested in kinds of programming that uh, non-commercial radio could provide. There was also during that time a movement going on for more community stations. And sometime in the uh, early to mid-1970s, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters was founded. And this is an organization that uh, was very helpful to WXPR during our formative years. The funding mechanism for uh, getting grants to build new stations changed. That made it possible for a station like WXPR to get up to 75% uh, of the cost of building the station, that is the, uh, the hardware for it, through grants that came through the Department of Commerce. This was a mechanism that didn't exist uh, previously. You had to prove uh, that the uh, area or, or program purpose that you were going to do with your uh, non-commercial broadcast station was different from what was uh, existing. And if you were serving an unserved area, that was uh, even more important. This was a period of time when there was a lot more interest, first of all, in FM radio, at the uh, beginning of the 1970s, most of the radio listening in the U.S. was to AM radio. By the end of the 1970s, more people were listening to FM radio than AM. That was helpful, too, because uh, non-commercial stations tended to be 
on the FM band where there was a an area uh, from 88 to 92 megahertz that was reserved for non-commercial broadcasting. And an important thing did happen um, like about 1976 that uh, opened the door specifically for WXPR, and that was that uh, uh, the Wausau station of what was at that time the Wisconsin Educational Radio Network, that station is WHRM, used to broadcast on 91.9 megahertz, uh, right at the top of that reserve band. But uh, due to uh, a plan uh, which arose to build a new commercial station at 92.1 in Mauston, Wisconsin, the FCC was petitioned to move the channel of WHRM, and it moved from 91.9 down to 90.9, where it operates today. That opened the channel of 91.7 in areas to the north of Wausau, and made it much easier to uh, proceed with a station of the scope of WXPR. But let's get back to our specific story. I was working at Bemidji State University and helping learn more about public radio to uh, help the university decide if they would build their own station or if they would affiliate with Minnesota Public Radio. The long story of that is that uh, ultimately, after I had left the university, they did affiliate with Minnesota Public Radio, so they never built their own station. But I was doing some research, and actually on my own time during the uh, summer break at the end of the uh, spring term in 1977. So I had decided to travel to uh, northern Michigan in the UP, and visit the two stations that existed there. Those were WGGL, which was operated at that time by Michigan Tech University, and WNMU-FM at Northern Michigan University. I went and visited both of those stations to uh, learn how they operated at their universities. I met with the the directors of them, and I think in both places I spoke with uh, some staff and got quite a bit of information about those stations. The story of those two is quite different. WGGL operated independently for uh, probably about three more years after I was there. And then the university had a a funding crunch, Uh, had to make some budget decisions. And uh, one budget decision made by their administration was to uh, sell their station to Minnesota Public Radio, which continues to operate to this day. WNMU-FM continues to be operated by Northern Michigan University. They uh, continue to operate and provide a great uh, program service, uh, which kind of comes up to the uh, the northern fringe of WXPR service area or vice versa. And uh, over the years, there have been a lot of good uh, relationships, I know, with uh, the folks at WNMU. So on a uh, spring day in 1977, uh, I don't know the exact date, but uh, I'm going to say that it was May 20th or thereabout of 1977. Having made this tour in the UP of uh, public radio stations, I was driving back home to my uh, parents' house in Couderay, Wisconsin, and uh, my route took me along Highway 70 coming into uh, Wisconsin uh, outside of uh, Iron River, Michigan. As I was driving along that afternoon, I was uh, listening to uh, WNMU-FM fade out 
and uh, spinning my dial on the radio and checking the signal coming from the Wisconsin side. But there wasn't much else out there as far as uh, public radio in the 88 to 92 band. And I began to think. I had friends who had worked in the Rhinelander area. I had a friend who worked at Channel 12 for a few years. And I began to think about what the resources were in that area if one would want to build a new radio station there. The things that I ticked off in my uh, thinking were, first of all, the community seemed a lot like Grand Rapids. It was a uh, town that was built around a paper industry. It was a uh, town that had its own community college, and that uh, particularly stood out in Wisconsin. Uh, many of you know that uh, Nicolet has stood uh, for many years as uh, having kind of a different mission from most of the uh, technical colleges in Wisconsin and has considered itself always a uh, true community college. So that was a comparable situation. And in fact, uh, KAXE that I've been talking about operated its studios when it went on the air out of a couple of uh, converted classrooms at Itasca Community College uh, in uh, Grand Rapids. Take a look at the broader region. Lots of tourism, lots of visitors from other communities, people who are listening to uh, different kinds of radio in their own home communities and might enjoy hearing it uh, or something like it uh, when they come up to their cabin or their resort or their place of recreating. Another asset, frankly, was Channel 12. I was aware of Channel 12 and its tall broadcast tower. And if it's possible to get a FM antenna mounted on a tall tower, one could have quite an excellent broadcast area. So the picture that was growing in my mind on this day of, we'll say, May 20th of 1977 was, you could do a station like Grand Rapids, but even better because you might be able to get space on the Channel 12 tower for your antenna. You could locate your studios in some available space at Nicolet if they have some, and you have a community in a region that would probably support what you want to do with kinds of programming that uh, people seem to enjoy that stations like KAXE provide. And so why not give it a shot and see if it can be done? Now, the first thing that I want to point out is while my thinking about the region and the people and the community were spot on, and that was really the critical part of it. My thinking about the facilities were way off the map. We'll talk about Channel 12 first. I did proceed toward an agreement with Channel 12 to uh, locate our transmitter at the uh, Channel 12 tower. But uh, about a year into that, I got a call from the general manager there, a man named Carl Hillstrom, and he said, I've got bad news for you. The uh, standards for uh, tower structures have changed, and it will not meet standards to mount any further antennas on the Channel 12 tower as it currently exists. So that piece of the puzzle suddenly changed, and we were going to have our own tower. And so um, that made a big difference in how our project went forward. Well, the president of Nicolet, Dr. Richard Brown, was a great supporter of the idea of our station, 
We never formally asked for space for our studios at the college. They just didn't have room for us, and we could see that. The day when this idea came to me, though, is uh, the point that I always think of as the starting point of WXPR. And it happened on the highway between Alvin, Wisconsin, and Eagle River, Wisconsin, on Highway 70. So we'll call it the Alvin idea that led to WXPR's creation. After giving it a lot of thought, I did several things in the next year to move the idea of a community-based public radio station in the Rhinelander Northwoods area ahead. I went back to my office in the basement of Birch Hall at Bemidji State University and put a map pin in Rhinelander on the uh, big map of Wisconsin that I had on my wall there. I uh, sent away for the incorporation papers for a nonprofit organization in Wisconsin and incorporated White Pine Community Broadcasting. Where did that name come from? As I look back on it, I think I was inspired by a new station that was coming in Fresno, California, by an organization called White Ash Broadcasting. Anyway, a Northwoodsy name seemed appropriate. I was asked uh, at one point while speaking to a group in Phelps why I had named it after White Pine, Michigan. I guess I hadn't realized how well-known White Pine, Michigan was in Wisconsin. I asked two people to uh, serve as the initial board of directors for WXPR for the uh, incorporation documents. One was Kurt Cron. He was a family friend who was at that time director of public relations for American Family Insurance in Madison. Kurt, of course, became much more involved with WXPR after his retirement and move to the Northwoods area. On a frosty winter day when I happened to be in Madison for a meeting, Kurt and I went to a bank that was on the corner of Midvale Boulevard and University Avenue and got the incorporation papers notarized and then dropped them in the mailbox right outside the bank to uh, go across town to the Secretary of State's office and formally start the organization. The other was Bruce McDonald. Bruce McDonald played exactly one active role in the organization. He was a uh, friend from UW-Superior. He eventually went on to uh, work extensively in the uh, news department at Minnesota Public Radio. But the role he played was participating in the organizational meeting for White Pine Community Broadcasting. He and his then-wife, Sue Wormter, and I met in Superior at the uh, Pizza Hut on Tower Avenue and held the organizational meeting in a booth there over a pizza. In the spring of 1978, I went to Monaco, where the only two people I knew in the Northwoods lived, and that was John and Mary Kay Shearer, now Mary Kay Dadisman. I got together with them, and I showed them a map I had made of the potential coverage area of this radio station that I had in my mind. They were interested, they were somewhat surprised, I think, and they were enthusiastic about the idea. The other thing I did on that trip was go to the post office in Rhinelander and rent P.O. Box 254. It might just be an idea, but we now had a little space in the community, and I visualized when we would be expanding that space in the future. You've been listening to WXPR, the story of how it started. New episodes are released Fridays online at WXPR.org or wherever you get your podcasts.